Hey there. The holidays are here, so it's good to know Fred Meyer can save you some time with free pickup on all your fresh favorites. Whether your traditions call for a hearty helping of juicy ham, ample apple pie, or Aunt Sue's legendary twice-stuffed stuffing, Fred Meyer has got you covered. So order for free pickup at fredmeyer.com or the app and get more time to get your holiday on when you grab your groceries curbside. Fred Meyer, fresh for everyone. Free pickup on orders of $35 or more. Restrictions may apply. Welcome to the Everyday Mindfulness Show, the off-the-cuff exploration of everyday aha moments and life experiences. Join a cast of over 70 uniquely brilliant individuals. Each week, Mike Domish and an eclectic mix of cast members and special guests will engage in mindful and lively conversations about everything from meditation to spirituality to personal passions to successes and failures to relationships to the stuff that makes up the moments of our daily lives. Let's get started with your host, author, speaker, provocateur, and a bit of a goofball, Mike Domish. Yes, I'm your host, Mike Domish, and thrilled to be here on another episode of the Everyday Mindfulness Show. This week, I have a special guest, dear friend, incredible human being, Darren Tipton. This is a one-on-one. As some of you know, sometimes we do a cast show. This is a one-on-one because I really just want to spend this time with you, Darren, to let people really hear about you, your journey, how you thrive in the world you're in, the mission you're making in the world, and how that relates to everyday mindfulness. So, Darren, thanks for joining us. I am thrilled to be here. Thank you. Absolutely. For anybody wondering, hey, who's Darren Tipton? Go to everydaymindfulnessshow.com. You'll see the show notes. You can click on directly to his website, learn all about him. He's doing amazing work. So Darren, you have a nonprofit doing sensational work over in Africa, uh, specifically in a couple countries. I want you to talk about it because I think that does its justice most. So tell us about the nonprofit and where you're doing the work. Our nonprofit's called Project Humanity, and we're doing work in Zambia and Kenya, and we've just started uh, Zanzibar. So we basically focus on women's empowerment. That's financial empowerment, healthy deliveries, prenatal care, that type of thing, and then uh, putting libraries in schools uh, to help educate. And how many times a year are you going over there and spending time? I'm making the journey every other month. So you're up to six times a year now. Six times a year. And some of those are as long as a month. Yeah, I just got home from a month. Yeah, yeah, that's that's awesome. So you've got, you're over there for a month. So you're there six months a year now. Is that crazy? Yeah, and which is interesting because when you and I first met just you know a few years back, you were not at that volume or amount of time. So it's really kicked up recently. You know, in the beginning, years ago, I went every, I went every month and then it was every other month. And I do, I prefer to do weeks at a time versus returning and going back. Right, which makes sense. Absolutely. If you're going to go that long, you might as well stay. Yeah, and you're in high-conflict areas, very impoverished areas, struggling areas. How do you apply mindfulness for yourself in dealing with all that you're seeing and experiencing for those you share with? How does that work? I think the biggest thing for me, and, and to preface what I'm going to say, we select the areas we work in based upon the most critical needs. So often I find myself asking the question, where does no one else want to go? Or where are there few people going? And there's even something just about presence. And you you said it, there's some unique, overwhelming challenges, HIV, AIDS, and hunger, and all these things. And when you think about how do you take an NGO based in our country and our culture, take it and place it in a place that is frankly, quite different. 
mindfulness has so much to do with it. And I think the biggest part of mindfulness is realizing the way that you and I live day to day does not have to be the way that other people live. And I think for a lot of people, the idea of having multiple wives or the idea of some of the challenges we face, it can be overwhelming. So the mindfulness comes in in being, yes, we're all human. We may see the world differently, but there is an approach to being helpful that can make a huge difference. How do you apply mindfulness to not overwhelm? Because you see things that you wish you could just grab people out of and bring home, but you can't do that in your line of work. You see violence. You see the ramifications of violence. You're not in the violence area itself while it's happening, but you see the ramifications of violence, sexual violence, abuse. How do you apply mindfulness to help you on a day-to-day while you're over there or when you're not over there? I'm going to be really honest. There are days I don't do well handling it because the needs are so overwhelming. And you're seeing people, I could easily be in their shoes, and you're seeing people struggling, I mean struggling, with a burden that they can't carry. And you have to, like I take teams over, I have to constantly say, we're not here to fix people. We're not here to fix situations. And so you have to constantly adjust yourself, especially if you have a tender heart. If you have a heart that's responsive to need, because people come and think, well, I can give you this because this will help you today. But this isn't going to help you a week from now because by then you'll have used what I've given you. So there's a certain level when you speak about mindfulness yeah, there's days it's just like, how in the world can we deal with this? And you have to retreat into that private place and your own centering, your own w- a bit of wellness, so to speak. Do you have a daily routine to try to help at least keep you in line with that? In other words, are you a person who wakes up and says, you know what, I need my first 20 minutes to just silence, to recenter, and end the day with that, to refocus and find gratitude in this, what could be horrific times sometimes, some days? Yeah, I do. There's two things that I do on the field because it's it's constant go. It's 24 hour. I mean, you're going and there's things happening. Plus, you've got we've got volunteers that are coming to serve with us. So they have their own set of concerns. But it could be meditation. It could be time in the morning. It could be time just to even journal a thought that's clinging with you from yesterday. And then with the group of volunteers that are that are traveling with us, it's that constant conversation of what are your impressions about all of this? And I think the biggest thing, to even go back to your first question, how do I use mindfulness when you're dealing with systemic poverty, with things that are so overwhelming for to view, but also to live in, it's conversation has a lot to do with healing, too. So it's asking questions and waiting for the answers and listening to the people around you and learning to articulate your own feelings, which is sometimes difficult to do. Well, I love what you shared there. You know, when when we were on the Boy Scout trip years ago, they go to a place called Phil Mount Scout Ranch, and it's a very can be a very strenuous two week yeah. in the mountains of New Mexico. Now, nothing like what you're describing. There's no poverty. There's no, but but it's strenuous and it's stressful. Yeah. And to help each group every day at the end of the day, there's you know eight to ten of you in the middle of nowhere at a campsite trying to you know just using survival skills and what you have on you. And they do what's called thorns and roses at the end of each day. And yeah. it's to talk about what were your thorns today and what were your roses today. And I think what that does is give what you just said. It gives the mind a chance to deal with everything it's trying to deal with on the trail, on the on the people. You, your thorn might be somebody in the group 
And you need to air that out so everybody can move forward. But it also often it's the rose that's the person in the group. The thorn was something circumstantial that occurred. So that sounds like what you're describing there, having people. I wonder how much more difficult I can only imagine it would be if you're over there solo without someone at the end of the day to share with. Would you think that that would just be an, an unbelievably different experience? It, I have gone solo or with one other person before. And because we go into a village and, and create our staff out of those people. So I'm never alone. So the, I, it would be very hard if you went somewhere and didn't know anywhere. It would be tough. So you agree. You agree the key to that is having that team, even if you build it right there and they're from within. But to be there so truly solo and not in a team, oh, I, can't, I think that would be, yeah, but, take a whole other level of really needing quiet time. Well, and part of mindfulness in another culture, respectfully, is what does this culture value? And what do the people locally believe about X, Y, and Z? And there are certain things you can do and certain things you can't. And so that local staff becomes that insurance policy that I'm not going to stick my foot in my mouth repetitively. Right. You see child marriage while you're over there. Yeah. You see young girls being married to older men. You're sitting there going, this is appalling and yet, that's I have to understand that that's not exactly why I'm here. There's relation to why I'm here in that. But I'm not going to stop that by being here. Right. Uh, so I got to do what I can do. Is that sort of the approach? Yeah, you, you see those things like we were just in Zambia, 10-year-olds prostituting themselves for food for the family. You know, there is a certain level of ilk that comes with that thought, but you do all you can to empower them financially without, you don't necessarily just tell the mother, don't send your daughter out to do this. It's, they would think it was inappropriate that I said that. And then you, and then you lose all credibility and you can't help them at all. You can't help them at all because suddenly you're there judging them and right. in trouble with the government even. So you have to be extraordinarily careful. Yeah. That, that makes complete sense. <laughs> yeah. What, so when you're here and you're back in the States, how does it change? I just thought of this last week that it is an interesting dance that our team does that live here and travel. You're there, but you're here. And we live by a whole different set of standards and, and maybe expectations. And it's balancing it enough that we're engaged in advocating for, in this our case, these women, but respecting our culture enough to know the proper stories to tell that, that garner the support you need. And, you know, it, Funny thing is, we just had a conversation about Facebook. How, what do you put on Facebook? Do you put the photo of the little kid who's out? You know, you don't. Because what you put on Facebook, they're going to see. So it's a delicate balance of, I respect you, not just when I'm there, but when I'm home. And somehow I have to take those lessons that I learned about being present, about being respectful, and I have to bring them home and apply them to my everyday life. That's, that's powerful. And so how much contact do you have? It's mainly with the team over there, not with individuals of the community, but the team members within the community. Is that correct? I used to only relate to the team members, and then I realized I was missing out. I've just been going through this. I would almost cringe because I would get requests from people for this or that or school. Or, and I just started opening up my Facebook to anyone who wants to be my friend. And it's been overwhelming. So I primarily relate to the team, but I've learned part of the blessing is relating to the people that we encounter. Well, I imagine by opening that up, you get the feedback that sort of ignites your fire. It does. Right. I mean, I know that about myself, that I'm an extrovert. And so 
the what's going on externally is what feeds my energy. And for people who aren't aware, that is the difference between an extrovert and an introvert. It's not who talks and who doesn't talk or who's quiet and who's loud. It's where do you get your energy? Do you get your energy from the outside of you or from within? And I get it from outside. And I think you're, you are similar in that way from what you and I yeah. have discussed in the past. For you to enable a system where you can get that feedback, it just continues, takes the fire to a whole nother level, I would imagine. It takes the fire to another level. And you know the thing that I've discovered as I've been listening to these new friends, new conversations, and even reaching out to go meet some of them, there are some amazing people with giftedness and passion that have nothing. They're zeros that are in their communities. The guy that I wrote an article about today, he's feeding a 1,000 kids a day by just small little fundraising he's doing. You start finding those little heroes within their culture. They're not a part of our staff. But that's the thing that inspires me because this is not easy work and anybody who's doing it, it can be, it can drain you. And whether you're extrovert, introvert, or however you refuel, having those mechanisms that say, not only am I not on this alone, that person who's feeding a thousand kids a day is not in it alone. And by walking together, we can create this mindfulness that it is a calling, that there is a place of centeredness, regardless of how many things are pulling at you, that we can walk together in. I love it. And Darren, for someone listening around going, man, I would love to get involved with this. How can people get involved? I think there's a couple obvious ways. One is travel with us to Africa. So we take you know willing volunteers. And then the other one, we do several things domestically here in the United States. One is a book drive. So we have people that collect books and we put them on a ship and they go over to Africa. We have some other activities with our prenatal campaign that people can do. So so just would they reach out to your website? Yeah, they can reach out to the website. They can email me. And we have that link on the show for anybody listening right now. Well, let's. I'm sure people are listening going, how did you start this? Where did this come from? So Darren, how did you start this? Where did this come from? This is a good question. You'll laugh maybe. But years ago, Oprah Winfrey did a special when she was starting her, this is year, this is 25, 30 years ago. She did a special on the girls in South Africa where she started her leadership school. And the last thing she, I was thinking, oh wow, what an amazing thing. Of course, she's Oprah Winfrey and I'm not. And, but yet it spoke to me. And the last thing she said in her show is she goes, we need everyone, men, women, whoever. And it spoke to me. So in my mind was planted this, seed of like, hmm, and it was about Africa. I had a, tra- a chance to travel with an organization I worked with last minute, fill in for a leader, went to Kenya, and we're landing in Kenya, and I kind of, in an odd way, felt like I was coming home. So in a way, it was because of her inspiration, but it was also this opportunity that I took, and it's been in my blood ever since. And so you started with that organization, yeah. And you broke off at some point to create your own. I did. What, what, how, how did that journey take place? Interestingly, I kept feeling like it was with a, a religious group, a Christian religious group. And I kept feeling like we were pulling up to the problem, talking about it and praying about it. And then getting back in the car to go home, hoping that somebody would come answer that prayer. Only to realize that we were the people that were there to answer this prayer. And I... There came a day of like, you know what, I I think I've missed the boat here because I don't need to pull up and pray that someone comes and helps them because we've got grain in the back of the car. But even as that developed, you know, that th- thought of I want anybody and everybody, whether you're black, orange, yellow, purple, whatever your orientation, 
wherever you're from, to come contribute because the problem is so severe, we cannot be selective in who helps as long as it's the, the right kind of person. And I think for me, it was the realization that this takes all hands on deck. We need arms linked, feet in the ground with talented and gifted people contributing. And you said it takes the right kind of person. What is that person? What's that demographic? I'll tell you the person that, that by and large over time that we've that I've been serving, and that's, for us, it's a person in transition. There are key points in our lives when we start asking the whys and why do I not like my career anymore? And for some reason, it could be a divorce, kids graduating. There are those natural big transitions, and people start asking that. A lot of our volunteers come during that point of transition to rediscover themselves, maybe to find a new path that they need to be on. And I love it because they're open. And it's not just about going and doing medical care or delivering libraries. It's the reverse of that is there's a journey of, as you might call it, mindfulness about presence, about calling. To me, that can be absolutely life changing. And so although we're very focused on Africa and the things we're doing, I'm just as focused on saying, how do I help an impressionable college student? or uh, somebody going through a tragedy after a tragedy in their life, find service, not just serving with us, but find service as a part of everything they do for the rest of their lives. So it's creating that fertile ground where you literally help them be grounded to what's happening, help them find that peace in themselves, What the peace and the peace, the P-I-E-C-E, the peace of themselves that brings, uh, service brings peace, it brings healing. And I've committed my whole life to this. I believe so strongly in the idea that if you're empty, if you feel worn out, if you're struggling to know your purpose, go volunteer somewhere, serve, do something substantial and serve. I love it. That's fantastic. And and you said this has been your life. So on a personal level, where have been the biggest transformational moments you've had? What triggered them? What brought them to you? For you to have discoveries in your life, like do you remember, was it as a child, or as a teenager, or as a twenty-year-old, where you first had your first big life transformational aha? I would say there's probably two or three. The first one, and I actually shared it on one of your previous episodes. Uh, I had. I a- remember that very well. <laughs> so for anybody listening right now, uh, just so you're aware, Darren is a regular cast member that you often hear on the show. So I, if you're going, is this the same Darren? Yes, this is the same Darren. My, I'd lost my great grandmother and just somebody very close to me. And, uh, I felt that emptiness that we feel when someone leaves. And you, and to, for everyone listening, you were how old again? I was like, I'm going to say 10. Yeah. Yeah. I was young. I remember that. That's why I wanted to bring it up. So you're 10 years old, roughly around that age. You've lost your grandmother. She means the world to you. So I'm telling my mom, I'm just talking to my mom about this. And she, and I said, I'm going to go across the street to the nursing home. Now, what 10-year-old? I mean, that should tell you one thing about me. Nobody talks like that. I walked over to the nursing home. I think my mom called and told him I was coming. I went over and I said, I, I just lost my grandmother and I want to do it. Who, who here can I know, you know? So for me, it was an early journey of it's always been innate within me. It's always been inside. What did the nursing home do? Your mom gives a little pre-warning so they know it's you're coming. They, wel- they welcomed me in. And they said, well, come on in. And did they, they go find people to match you with? They, they suggested I start with this, this couple that had just moved in, and we became friends. And I just started walking the halls. And so you become friends with the first couple. And do you stay friends with them for years? Or how does this? 
Um, no, it wasn't very long. Well, I did this probably for a year. Okay. And then it wasn't long after that that my uh, my family had to move from my dad's job. Ah, uh, okay. But then they, but you got to know everybody because they let you just explore the halls. You're the cute little ten year old running around the halls that everybody loved. And I drugged my sister over there with me. So that's yeah, crazy. That's awesome. Okay, so that's number one, which is awesome. Thank you for sharing. Number one. Number two. During college, I was involved in a group, and we would go down to South Padre Allen during spring break. And we would advertise to people, we'll give you a free ride. We'll take you to a bar. We'll take you to your hotel. We'll pick you up drunk, high, whatever, just so you can be safe. And I suddenly realized that I think this is for me, this kind of work. Now, there's no job out there that you can do that and get paid. There was something about standing in the gap for people, really, that that touched me, touched my heart. It was in, it was very internalized. And what a strong statement, standing in the gap for people. Is that, is that something you've, you've learned somewhere else or is that your creation? I just came out of my mouth. Wow. I, I mean, I see that like on your website, right? I see like Darren Tipton standing in the gap for your organization. And you're for people. It's such a powerful statement that just came out just now. That's not a, like a model I, you live by. Yeah, I've read it somewhere, but it's not something I've marketed or had. So, no, I didn't, I didn't mean whether you marketed it, but I just meant it's such a powerful statement. When you yes. said it, it was like, ah, you know, those, that moment came about it's such a powerful language. You know, the thing that I learned there was people are hungry for someone to look in their eyes and say, but we care. But I care. I'm here to give you this right. No strings attached because we simply care. Yeah. I mean, what can you say? Thank you. you know? Exactly. No, it's so simple. Right. And years later, I would have people. I was at a, a meeting one day and somebody walked up to me and said, you're Darren Tipton. I said, yes, you gave me a ride and it made all the difference in my life. I mean, those things happen just wow. in case. That's awesome. And you said there was a third one. I would say the third most, I call it a, an unfortunate but magical moment is we started uh, working in this village in Africa where we are. And it was a lady was delivering. And so my uh, staff member who's in charge of our prenatal care area, we were delivering this baby. And she said, no, your job is to clean up during the delivery. And I said, okay, I'm ready. And then the baby started presenting. It presented very gray, and we knew it was, it was in crisis. So once it had delivered, she looked at me and she said, you'll have to do infant CPR. So I did it. I, never, I mean, I'd taken the training, but never done it. Short of the story was we did this for a while, and then finally she said, it's, it's done. The, the, the baby's gone. I still feel that ickiness, that feeling of shock that you get when you lose something like that, a baby. Right. It just, that was the day that I thought, because to be honest with you, this hasn't always been fun. And there are days that I've thought, in fact, I recently t spoke to a group and I said, Hey, I want to quit. And there are days I've said, you know what? I am finished. I am out of here. And I go to bed and I wake up the next morning with an agenda ready to roll. That's when you know you're called. But this particular night when this baby passed, that's when I thought, this is it for the rest of my life. These people have lack basic metal, medical equipment. All it needed was deep suction in its lungs. And right. um, we lost the baby. And, you know, this is the statement that changed me. The doctor said, well, sometimes there's just not hope for some people. But what I read it as, sometimes there's just not hope for some people. Right. And, and that stuck with me. And that's been the last couple of years, the thing that, and my team that I keep sharing with them is, we are the hope for some people. Yeah, absolutely. And 
And that property brought home a realization of while we do this work, we're not going to save everyone. You can't save everyone. Right. And that, that reality of that in your hands, right. That I can't, I can't save this baby, but the, I mean, you know, people in our field, when I say our field speakers, cause Darren speaks, yes. um, they sort of mock the starfish story because people have told it for so long about saving. If I would just save one starfish, there's a thousand starfish dying on the shore. But if I just save one and people mock it, but it's a human life you're talking about. And you know, Mike, you know, what's interesting for some of your, our listeners today, I think there is for many of us in the beginning of that career that we start service career, nurse, doctor, anything that we are so passionate about it. We start down this road of, I'm going to do this and I'm going to serve. And then somewhere along the way, maybe we feel the icky, ickiness of red tape, or maybe we ourselves go through a tragedy and loss. And this passion can be rediscovered. And when we talk about, especially mindfulness, I love taking people back to the day they first said yes. The day that you first said that you were going to do that, how did it feel? What was it that you were doing? How did you react? And when we go back to those times, like you were asking me about, you know, the nursing home and you were asking me about the time on the beach, or I told you about the time on the beach. Even thinking about those now, it makes me feel like, you know, there, there is a way. It's not going to be easy. There are days that you're going to give up. And I tell people, if you want to give up, do it and go to bed. And when you wake up tomorrow, what's the story in your mind? That's to me, that's a calling and that's a passion. Well, I love how you do that too, right? If you wake up in the morning and know I don't belong here, <laughs> then leave. Then leave, right? I mean, it's, it's, I take it back to when I was a coach. Like, if you don't want to be on deck, I don't want you on deck because I've got 30, 40, 50 other athletes that you're impacting. So if you're negative energy and you're the same, you got a small team over there, one can have such a negative impact. Like, it's yeah. okay to leave because we need the right energy here to pull this work off. So I think it's great you give people the freedom to say go, right? I mean, go. What one book has had the biggest impact on you in your life or how you view things and how you've made choices? Related, I'll say related to my work, Half the Sky is probably, was probably the most influential book with relating passion with the problems that we're facing in our world. I've never heard of that before. Who Do you know the author off the top of your head? I have it around the corner, but it's a, <laughs> I, I, I don't have it off the top of my head, but I'll, I'll, we can post it for the, yeah, we'll definitely have it in the show notes. What, what about the book? It is a great view of what people all over the world are doing about some of our biggest problems. So it's identifying related to women, especially, but it just puts it in things that you've never considered and some of the problems you've never heard of. And that yet there's somebody doing something to address those things and the creativity that it takes to take them on. I love it. I love it. If there was one lesson in life that someone spoke to you or said to you that it's, you've never forgotten. It could be a parent. It could be a friend. It could be a teacher. Is there, is there one you've all, you've always been able to come back to and go, man, I remember that moment and the impact it had on me. I think I can say it without crying. My mom has always said, you can do it. And she'd make my sister and I both, she'd say, okay, now repeat it 10 times. You can do it. I can do it. I can do it. I can do it. That seems a little bit childish, but even today when I'm, because I have my days and I'll call her and she said, you know, if you have to cry, get it out. 
but if you, what do you, what is your saying? What is your saying? I can do it. I can do it. It's not about me doing it necessarily. It's that sometimes the hill is so tall and the journey is so long that when you talk about mindfulness, that self-talk that you give yourself, you can see that the, the, the hill is higher than you can climb. But if you take a little bit of step at a time, I can do it. Right. I love it. Love it. So simple. Yeah. Right. And, and simplicity is power. Right. It's awesome. Thank you so much for joining us, Darren. You have such a great soul and spirit. I love getting to spend time with you as a friend and having you on the show for the world. The more people get to discover you is just a gift. So thank you so much for all you're doing both here and overseas. It's amazing. Thank you. It's an honor. Thank you. So for everyone listening right now, you can learn all about Darren at everydaymindfulnessshow.com. And we hope you're back with us next week. Remember, you can always subscribe to the show on iTunes or wherever you listen to it. You'll get every show automatically downloaded. It's the best way to go. And until next week, until next week, you may you make today and every day a mindful journey. Thanks for joining us. Three quick reminders. One, please subscribe to the Everyday Mindfulness Show on iTunes. Already subscribed? Then encourage others to join us by inviting them to subscribe to the show. Two, while on iTunes, download all the latest episodes. Three, reviews help more people find out about the show. Would you please go into iTunes and write a review? Doing so helps spread the mission of the show. Thanks. We appreciate you being a part of our vibrant, oftentimes silly, and always vulnerable community. If you have an idea, a thought, want to sponsor the show, or just want to say hi, send us an email at listen at everydaymindfulnessshow.com. And check us out at everydaymindfulnessshow.com. Have a joyful, mindful week.